Right now we're going to read the Bible and we're going to be looking at um, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have may have laboured over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. That you, may, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light. Really good to have you with us this morning. If this is your first time in church or our church or a church gathering at all, um, or whether you're here and a part of a small group and have been here week after week, it's so good to be able to gather. And thanks for taking the time on a long weekend morning to actually come and gather together and sit under God's Word. And kind of as we heard before, I really hope it's a rich time in God's Word this morning. It has been so far as we've moved through Galatians. And I think it will continue to be as we kind of move into the second half of the book where Paul, the writer of Galatians, starts to move from the gospel itself and the grace of God and our identity in the gospel to how that actually starts to transform our lives once we fully get it. And this morning we're going to see that the gospel frees us from idolatry. Now, if you are a modern secular person... Idolatry might not be something in your glossary of terms that you find yourself saying very often. Uh, it sounds like very ancient language, and it is. But I'll put to you, if we understand what Paul is saying in this letter, it has immediate modern application. So you, you might have heard someone say, or you might have even said yourself, I'm not very religious. And what that usually means is that I don't ascribe to any kind of official religion. And often what that also means is potentially that I don't believe there is a God or we can't really know if there is a God or I don't believe in maybe supernatural world or that sort of thing. And it can give the impression as well that the world is divided into religious and non-religious people whose worldviews operate on completely different assumptions and principles. And in some ways that's helpful because the immediate categories of not following a, a particular, you'd say, official religion is an obvious one. But I would put to you that whoever you are, if you are a human your worldview operates on exactly the same way, whether you describe yourself as religious, non-religious, spiritual, not spiritual, whatever. Because the truth is, everyone worships something without question. The only question is, what is it that you worship and what does it do to you? In a, a graduate address um, to, uh, at Kenyon College, uh, they'd invited an author. So I think this is a, a common practice in American colleges. When everyone's graduating, 
someone semi-famous gets up and gives a rah-rah speech and sends everyone off with life advice and then maybe you throw your hats in the air. Or I don't know if that's just in the movies. Some of our American friends here can maybe you know, fill me in on the details there. Um, but I th- I, from my understanding, it is common that you get someone to give a, a final address to graduating students. And in this one, it was kind of in the context of giving them life advice. And this author wrote this, he himself being an, an agnostic, said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll need even more power over others to numb, numb you to your fear. Worship your intellect and being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud and always on the verge of being found out. He makes the observation that everybody worships something. That everyone has one thing that they believe, if I had that, I would be as happy as I could possibly be. That would be maximum human flourishing for me. And whatever that thing is, it will operate for you as a God. It will order all of your life and all of your principles and all of your time. In this sense, everyone is religious. The only question is what you worship and what is it doing to you? And Paul wants to say in this letter, he wants to warn the Galatians. He says, look, you've come to know the true gospel. You've come to know God and be known by God. Don't go back to slavery. Because gods that are not gods, when you worship them, will destroy you and enslave you. But the gospel alone can set you free. And not just here and now, but for eternity. And so I'm going to pray that as we open Galatians 4 together, that this truth would strike us deeply this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are the God of freedom, the true God, the true God who has true power. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel that sets us free. We thank you that it's by grace alone and nothing that we do or contribute, but all through Jesus. And so we pray, Father, that even this morning, that we in increasing measure would be experiencing the freedom of the gospel in our lives. We pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, in this section, Paul is worried that these new believers, so he's planted this church, he's taught them the gospel, they've understood it for the first time, and he's worried now that they're going back to slavery. What's happened is after he's taught them the gospel, after the church has been established, some teachers have come in and they've said to them, yeah, yeah, all that Jesus stuff is true, but if you want to be saved, you have to keep all of these Jewish customs as well. You have to do that stuff too. And Paul is saying, don't do it, don't go back to slavery, it's ridiculous. And more than that, look what he says about where they've gone from and come to. In Galatians 4, 8 to 20, uh, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. By now, that you should, uh, sorry, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. 
Paul says, listen, you guys were enslaved to gods that were not gods, false gods, false religions, he says to them. And it was slavery. And he said, you lived in fear. For many of those ancient religions, it would have been things like making a sacrifice to a god of fertility to ensure that your children would be safe. Or it would be things like ensuring that, or praying that uh, the God of the harvest would actually look after you, that you might have food for the next season. And they always lived in constant fear of angering the gods because gods essentially were just powerful, petulant children who were easily upset. And so you spent most of your life trying to make sure you didn't do the wrong thing and upset the wrong gods so that you might get punished. Or worse than that, your children or family members might get punished because of something that you did. So they lived in constant fear constant superstition and Paul says when you understood the gospel for the first time you got set free you understood God you knew God and more than that God knew you and so you had genuine freedom and it set you completely free he says why now are you going back to this see the reason you you might as a modern person think well look we don't really even need to overcome that kind of thing we've moved on from that sort of superstitious way of living We don't worship fertility gods or things like that. And ultimately, we don't operate, we don't worship things that operate on the same weak and worthless principles that that Paul's talking about. But the truth is, we really do. There is the case that we can be in every way enslaved to things that are not gods and they operate with the same kind of power over us. We might be slightly more sophisticated given that we don't have actual statues that we bow down to. We might consider that more sophisticated. But in every way operates in the same way. See, some of you might worship approval. You live for the approval of others and are enslaved by it. The idea that someone might disapprove of what you might wear or are wearing can, ch- can make you change what you do or how you act. That, the idea that someone might think you're weak will change what you say or how you act around certain people. The idea that someone might not like what you say or do or believe is enough to make you change what you say, do or believe on a dime. You're enslaved. Some of you maybe worship power and status. And so you work and you work and you work because you cannot stand the idea that you might be called a failure. Or that maybe somewhere in the past someone significant did call you a failure and you want to prove to them and to everyone else that you are not a failure. And so you work. And you are driven, even though it's, it's ruining relationships in your life, even though you are hating it, you cannot stop because you are enslaved to it. You work and work. Some of you worship control. You need everything in life to go exactly how you expect it. And when things start to feel out of control, you start to become extra controlling. And people around you maybe even start to feel a little suffocated or crushed because you worship control and are enslaved by it. Some of you worship pleasure. You can only be happy when you experience pleasant things. You, you can't stop spending on food or entertainment or other non-essentials. It might be that you have several mild or significant addictions. You avoid difficult conversations, difficult work, self-control, all the adulting type things that you don't want to do. And the things that really bring meaning and significance in life, in every way we're enslaved. So we can look down on ancient religions and their silly superstitions, but we operate on exactly the same principles. We are every bit as human as they were. And when we worship false gods, we too are enslaved by them. And the thing with these false gods is that their weak and worthless principles don't solve the biggest problem of all, which is death. 
Most modern people have no assurance about what happens after you die. And are mildly to significantly worried about it, but we try to bury it in our subconscious and just carry on and busy our lives up. But ultimately, is a question we need to be asking. False gods enslave us and they give us no assurance of the answer to the question of death. And so Paul says to these Galatians, look, you lived in fear your whole lives. You understood the gospel and you got set free. Don't go back to it. Look what he says in 4, 8, and 9. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? He says it's crazy. Imagine you were, imagine you were swimming out at sea, and you got caught in a rip and taken all the way out. And as you're there, the, the wind and the waves kick up, and you are in every way as stuck as you could possibly be. Now imagine in that situation that you actually got rescued and brought back to shore. Um, imagine how good it would feel and how relieving it would feel just to have solid ground under your feet after all of that. And imagine how crazy it would be to just jump straight back in the surf. And Paul is saying that's exactly what these folks are, are doing or the, the idea that they're toying with. He says you lived in fear under false gods and you were set free. Why would you live again like that? And he goes on to say, actually, that this new kind of Jewish religion that they want to take on is just another form of slavery. Look at what he says. It says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I've labored over you in vain. See, false teachers have come in saying to them, If you don't keep these Jewish customs, you cannot be saved. The men have to get circumcised. You have to observe days and months and years. You have to keep all of these rituals. Yeah, it's the grace of God and all of that. But ultimately, if you do not keep these rules, you cannot be saved. And Paul says this is just slavery all over again. Because just like false gods, acting as though we can win God's favor and earn our salvation ourselves is just a new kind of slavery. It's just another form of fear and shame and it's a trap. And it's full of guilt and, and uncertainty. And Paul says, don't do it. And more than that, he says, don't listen to these false teachers because they don't really care about you. He says, they don't care about your soul. They don't care about your genuine freedom in the gospel. They don't care about the truth. They're happy to say nice things to you, but only because they want to build for themselves a platform and they want to be approved of themselves. And so Paul says to them, don't do it. In Galatians 4.12, he writes to them, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you did me no wrong. He says, look, live, he lives free from the law. And Paul at times chooses to do things according to Jewish customs to reach Jewish people with the gospel. But he knows that that stuff is just custom. It does not in any way have any uh, connection to your relationship with God. That it does not make you saved and cannot make you saved that the power to save belongs to Jesus alone. And so he says to them, look, I've become like you. I've become like someone who's not Jewish. I live like you guys live. So don't, don't go back to these ways. Live from my example. And more than that, he goes into just what a close relationship he had with this church. I don't know if you noticed it there in the reading, but look at what he says. He says, you know, it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, 
you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that, they may, that you may make much of them. Paul says, the first time I preached the gospel to you guys, it was because of a bodily ailment. Now, we don't know exactly what this is, but from the context, it seems like there was some kind of problem with his eyes, that potentially he was going blind. The reason for that is that he's, he mentions here that you guys love me that much that if you could have, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Bit gory, bit rough, but you get the idea, right? They really liked him. But not only that, but later in this letter, in, in chapter 6, he says, see with what large letters I write to you. And it's not just that he was a boomer writing in all caps or something like that on a, on a rant, on the, in- the ancient form of a rant on the internet. No, it's, it seems like that would indicate that he's writing large because his eyesight is perishing. In a letter that he writes later in Romans, in Romans 16.22, he says actually Tertius wrote this letter, kind of scribed it for him as he dictated it. So it would seem to indicate that something is going on with his eyesight and that maybe it's, it's, it's going from him. And so what's likely to have happened is that as, as he was passing through Turkey, through this region of Galatia, he stopped off to get some rest. And instead of like properly resting, he just sits there and preaches the gospel to them and plants a church. And they form this incredibly close bond. Obviously, he was dependent on them at times to the point where they had to look after him. And he said, you didn't even treat me like a burden. We were that close. And he said, and more than that, what brought us close was the gospel. I taught you this gospel of freedom. And we had this fellowship and, and we were brothers and sisters in a family in Christ. And he says, and now you're almost treating me like I'm acting like your enemy for telling you the truth. I haven't changed the message. What I told you then is still true now. He says, the only thing that's changed is these false teachers have come in and they're happy to big you up and say all the things that you want to hear, but only so that you might big them up and make them feel important and, and like significant teachers. And Paul says, I'm not like that. In fact, Paul, Paul says right at the beginning of the letter that actually coming to know Jesus is what set him free from the idol of approval so that he could speak the truth in love. In Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul was set free from the addiction to other people's approval in order to be able to tell them the truth about Jesus. And so he continues to do that. And he warns them. He says, Watch out for false teachers who just tell you what you want to hear and they're happy to say anything that you want in order that you might listen to them, but they don't care about your soul and they don't care about the truth of the gospel and they don't care about your freedom. And that's still true today. If you want to, you'll be able to find any teacher on any particular topic who's got a PhD who will tell you even the opposite of what seems plain in Scripture. That there is enough writing out there that you can find someone on almost any issue who's willing to tell you exactly what you want to hear, but it doesn't care about your soul or about the truth. Paul says, no, as a servant of Christ, I'm willing for people to not like me because I care too much about what's happening to them to not tell them the truth. And so he speaks the truth to them. He stays true to the proverb in 27.6 where it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but many are the kisses of an enemy. These false teachers have come in. They've told them things that they want to hear. They're happy to big them up. But they're not speaking the truth. And what is it that Paul wants for them? He wants to see Christ formed in them. Look how he concludes this section. In 18 to 20 he says, It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, 
for whom I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul says it's good to be made of for a good purpose. It's good to encourage one another in Christ. But his anguish for them is he wants to see Christ formed in them. The tone of this letter is that he believes that these are people who have genuinely been saved, but who are now living not in accordance with the gospel. And what he wants to see is Christ formed in them. See, once you get saved, that's not the end of the journey. You don't just park the bus and then wait till Jesus comes back. That actually God is continuing to do a work of grace in you as the grace of the gospel starts to invade more and more and more areas of your life. This is what Paul longs to see in this church. For them to live out the reality of the gospel in every single area. And not to go backwards and to start being enslaved in more and more areas. And to go back to a, a religious way of fear and uncertainty, but instead to see grace invade more and more areas of their life. To see Christ formed in them. And he will not stop laboring until every part of their life is brought under the gospel. Until they are living completely free from slavery to idols. But I guess the question for this section would be, if it's the case that living for Jesus is true and genuine freedom, that actually the gospel sets us free and that the more you live for Christ, the more freedom you experience, why would Paul even have to write this letter? Well, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Why would anyone, you would think, want to live under slavery? It's a strange phenomenon, but uh, an author called John Owen wrote about it in the 17th century. He said, For those who have been saved and set free, having lived under the mastery of sin for so long, Though they are set free from its power, still jump at their old master's voice. You get the illustration? You can think of it in this way. Years ago, I saw a documentary about a child who'd been raised as a dog. And when it was discovered and this, this kid was eventually emancipated, there was a team of psychologists that were, their dedicated work was to, to help this child start to live fully as a human. And the psychologist said on their first meeting with the child, on his one-to-one -one meeting with the child, the first thing this kid did was curl up in his lap like a dog. And he said it was months and months and years and years of teaching this child just to live who they really were, which was as a human. It took years to unlearn old ways and old patterns and to learn what it meant to live free and fully as a human as a person, as they should be. When we initially get set free from the gospel, our soul can be so gnarled from sin that it's a painstaking work of grace that God does in us to slowly unfurl these areas of our life and bring them under the freedom of the gospel. And it's true that until he brings us home, occasionally, or maybe even more frequently at times, we still jump at our old master's voice, but freedom is found in following Christ and in bringing more and more of our life under Christ. So as we apply this, let me ask you this question. If you are here and not convinced of Jesus and you're just investigating the gospel for the first time, can I just say just thank you so much for being here and for actually taking the time out of a week to, to ask big worldview questions that really take time and energy to dive into. But I want to ask you this when it comes to the gospel. What is your greatest fear? 
Rejection, powerlessness, a lack of control, the fear of discomfort. Are you honestly controlled by this fear? Because the claim of Jesus is that the gospel can set you free. That we live so often under slavery to other people's opinions, to workaholism, to the drive to succeed, the fear of losing control, the fear that the future might be uncomfortable or might have to face difficult things, and ultimately of death. But Jesus claims to have the answer. And I'd put to you there is nothing more worthy of your time and effort than working out of whether or not this is true. Because this is, if this is freedom, this is freedom indeed. And we'd love to help you on that journey. But if you are here and a believer, let me ask you this question. Do you long to see Christ formed in you? That is to see more and more of your life just brought under the lordship of, of Christ and under his good grace. Because if that's the case, the one thing to do is to find and to fight idols. You can only live for Christ as much as you don't live for idols or false gods. I mean, the encouragement from this passage is that if that is a struggle for you, if you see areas of your life where you're like, man, I believe the gospel and I cannot believe that this area of my life has not been brought under the gospel yet, just be encouraged that it has always been the case. That the journey of sanctification for Christians is the same for the Galatians as it is for us. It is possible to believe the gospel and yet have areas of your life where what you are doing and, and how you're behaving is out of sync with what you really believe, with your deepest beliefs. And so seeing Christ formed in us is the work of seeing areas where what I believe is true and what I'm actually doing are not quite syncing up. And so if that's you, lean into this. Consider the freedom that you have in Jesus. And I want you to consider this. Is it the case that one or maybe more of these idols might be having a bit of an impact on your life at the moment? Is it the case that sometimes, though you believe the gospel of Jesus, you worship control and you're a slave to the idol of control? You can be overbearing, inflexible or risk-averse. You're impatient with people. Close relationships can tend to feel suffocated by you. If that's the case, you need to remember the truth that God is great. That we, don't, we want to be in control and yet we ultimately have no control. And yet in the gospel we could say, God, I'm completely powerless. You're the one who had to save me and I can trust you with my future. I don't have to, I don't have to try and wrestle control from this world. If it's approval, if you're a slave to the idol of approval, do you avoid confrontation? Do you crave approval? Do you often go over and over in your mind what other people may have thought about what you did or said? Do you behave differently around certain groups? In one set you act this way and talk this way, in another you act this way. Do you pretend or hide what you really genuinely believe? If so, remember that God is glorious. That he saved you and approved of you, not because of anything you'd done, you didn't earn it, but simply because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sets you free from wanting to be approved of by other people because ultimately if the God of the universe loves you and approves of you, who else matters? If you worship the idol of pleasure and are a slave to the idol of pleasure, you might feel that responsibility generally is a burden and something to be avoided. That you kind of, you cherish that phase of life from 18 to 22 where you have maximum freedoms and minimum responsibilities and spend the rest of life trying to get back to that sweet spot. You often complain 
You make people feel like a, a burden or a duty. You don't stick at things. You get bored easily of things, lose interest and then move on. If that's the case, it's worth remembering in the gospel that God is good. And that because of that, you lack no good thing. And so you can endure difficult things in life and won't be missing out. You don't have to be constantly afraid that you could be living something better. Because Christ has set you free and if this is the path of obedience for you, then it is the best. If you worship the idol of power or status, it's probably the case that you take criticism and failure pretty badly. You might find it hard to relax or to switch off. You can be proud of your own achievements or envious when other people succeed. And oftentimes you can make people feel guilty because in pursuit of a project, you tend to trample over people and their individual personhood. If this is the case, it's time to remember that God is gracious. That you don't need to prove yourself anymore. That in the gospel, you've had to admit that I'm a sinner who cannot save themselves and God alone saves. That I don't need to be constantly working to make sure and to demonstrate that I am someone because who I am is in Christ Jesus. That everything I have and all that I am is in Him and I need no longer prove myself. Paul urges us at the end of this section, he says, I long to see Christ formed in you. And not only that, but as a community, we should long to see Christ formed in one another. That as we gather in our small groups, our desire would be that we'd be casting out false idols and living entirely in allegiance to Christ. To having more and more of our life brought under the lordship and grace of the Lord Jesus. That he might be honored, that he might be formed in us, not just individually, but as a community. And ultimately then we might be living out the true freedom of the gospel. But we need His power and His Spirit to do that, so I'm going to pray for us at the end of our time here. Let's pray. Father God, we praise You that You set us free in Jesus. And as we continue to follow Christ, we pray that we would experience more and more freedom. We remember the word written to the Galatians, that though they were set free from idols, they were beginning to live again as though they were enslaved. And so we pray that you would give us the grace to continue to follow Christ, to not be enslaved to anything, but to live completely free in Jesus, that your grace might have transformed us such that we would have every area of our life brought under his good rule. And Father, we just pray that as a community we would encourage one another in this, and that week by week we'd commend one another to the grace of our Lord Jesus. And then in doing this, that we might see real change and real transformation. And Father, we pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen.